0: So, radical, extreme. We live in a time of radical people who are not just like the ordinary, want to live a nice, mellow life. But they're given to extreme change. I'm reminded of V.I. Lenin the one who did the Russian Revolution, he says, you know what the problem with all the other revolutions in history were? They didn't kill enough of their enemies. We're not going to make that mistake, he says. So he was pretty radical. Now, in this chapter, Absalom, David's son, he's a radical guy given to extreme, over-the-top change. Here's a guy who has made himself king. And in so doing, he's slept with 10 of his father's concubines. He's caused his father to flee Jerusalem, and he's totally burned his bridges with his father. There is no reconciliation possible. It's him or David, but not both. And you'd think, well, there's nothing too radical for this guy. I mean, he's willing to attack his father and kill him. Extreme change. Take that, dad. But in one area, he turns out to be very conservative. And in that area causes him to be too careful. He doesn't want to die. Now, you know, it's one thing to have a cause to live for. It's another thing to have a cause to die for. And it turns out, The fact that he doesn't want to die keeps him from making the moves that will ultimately end up with him owning the kingdom. So his life is worth more to him than his cause. That's why he fails. So what you live for has to be worth more than your life. That's what we're looking at. So here's 2 Samuel chapter 17. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I'll arise and pursue David tonight. I'll come upon him while he is weary and weak, and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king." Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So here we are picking it up where Absalom has advanced on Jerusalem. David isn't prepared to defend or fight there at the capital, so he's fallen back fled. And uh, Absalom is taken over. He's For now, he's the boss, but David is still out there. So what do we do next? And if you look at verse 23, just preceding chapter 17, it says, Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had acquired at the oracle of God So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So this guy has good advice. That's what you can say. It's like inquiring of God. It's like, God, what do I do now? And if Ahithophel says do this, it's the right thing to do. So his counsel is, let's do this takeover with as little disturbance as possible. Because you don't want things in chaos. You want to just go, and then you're done. So go out right now this second with a hand-picked team, 12,000 guys to be a, a strike team. And you pursue David. You grab him while he's weary from running, you make everybody else scatter, just knock him off, and you can bring everybody back in peace. When he's dead, the cause is dead, and there's nothing left to fight for, see? So, Ahithophel brings everybody back just like a bride to the bridegroom. That's what's implied in the language here. And that's, you know, a a wedding is not a time of great upheaval, except if you're the bridegroom. That was a microscopic joke there. (laughs) Thank you. Now, nice and peaceful, this sounds good to everybody. You got that. It pleased Absalom and all the elders. This is perfect advice, by the way. And it would have worked if Absalom had followed it. But against all reason, Absalom asks for a second opinion from the wrong guy. In verse 5, it says, Then Absalom said... Now call Hushai the Archite also, and let us hear what he says, too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, The advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For said Hushai, You know your father and his men, that they are mighty men? that they're enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is a man of war and he won't camp with the people. Surely by now he's hidden in some pit or some other place. It'll be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person." So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he is withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city and will pull it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai the Archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. So can you imagine? It's just like God has spoken and then Absalom goes, well, let's talk to David's ex-friend and see if he's got another idea here. He's like, what? And Hushai comes up and says, well, I don't know. You know, usually Hithophel is like right on the money, but man, he has totally missed it this time. I mean, what the... I mean, you guys know about David, right? That he's death on two legs, and all the guys with him are like instant death. And you know, they're just hidden somewhere. Now listen, this is like ghost stories around a campfire now. They're hidden somewhere. And you least expect it, and he's going to come out and kill you all. (laughs) Anybody who hears about it says, well, they, they got killed, of course. They went up against David. It was no contest. Everybody's going to say, I don't want to die. And drop it. And by the way, did I mention that David is instant death? So he's lathering it on very deep. And so he says, if you go against David, you're going to die. So then his counsel is safety in numbers. What you want to do is get all Israel together. And the more of Israel there is, the numbers who are going to be killed go way down. And everybody's thinking, yeah, the guy next to me might get killed, and he might get next to me, and he might be killed, but I don't want to get killed. I'll let those guys go in front, and I'll attack from the rear. So many people, the odds of dying go down. So you need the safety of numbers to avoid death. And everybody goes, yeah. Now, they're not verbalizing it, but nobody in this crowd wants to die. Because here's a problem. You have a cause. You give your life for that cause. You're dead. You don't have that cause. That's kind of like a non-starter. So everybody says, ah, he's got a point here. Don't want to die. And so, now Hushai warns David, and it's like an action film here. In verse 15, then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimea stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom. But both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahirim, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread Ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They've gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly. For thus Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. And so this is the action part where you got the exciting music and they have to go down into the well and cover it over. And there's these guys in the well, covered over, totally in the dark, Men asking, where did they go? Oh, well, they went that way. Is it safe? So they tell David. David says, okay, we got to get out of here right now. And they get over the river. So it's all exciting action stuff. But interesting what happens in verse 23 Ahithophel already knows it's over. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. So the smartest man in the world, whose advice is like The word of the Lord kind of goes, okay, gets on a donkey, goes home, makes out a will, who gets what, very methodically, not frantic, just calm, and then he puts a noose together and hangs himself. Because he's still smart, like God. And he can see what's going to happen because his advice was right. And the point is, you want to just get David and then the cause is over. But if you delay, you give him time to regroup. And so the opportunity to strike first is gone. You will never have that again. And having lost that, Absalom is no match for David. So, Ahithophel risked his life to get what he wanted, and he lost. He wanted revenge on David. He wanted to kill him. And so he backed Absalom to get David, but Ahithophel Absalom is really the weak leak in the plan because he should have just listened to Hithophel. That's what he's there for. But instead, he goes and follows the advice of David's ex friend, who is still his friend. And Ahithophel did not plan on Absalom listening to somebody else. That was the wild card that he didn't see coming. Well, he knows it's over now. He has no future. Because it's only a matter of time before David wins, and then he has to face David. And what's going to happen when he faces David? Say, oops, sorry, can I have my old job back? It's like, no. There's no more room for that There's no reconciliation possible. You are a traitor. You have tried to kill me. So that's it. So he knows he's going to die. And the only question he's going to answer is, die now or die later? So Ahithophel knows right now at this point it's over. This is not going to work. Absalom and his followers are going to find out later that this whole rebellion is just a bubble. And it's going to go, and that's it. Gone. It can't last. Because this is a cause that nobody's willing to give their life for. They thought, you mean it's going to cost me my life? And then they start fixing out ways to save their lives, and in so doing, they have ensured they will lose their lives. It's kind of a loser. The rest of this chapter is David going to Mahanaim, getting a commander for the army. It's a bunch of junk. You can read it at home. That's not really the point here. The point here is that every single cause that you could live for on this planet is flawed. There's a real problem. Because to achieve what you want, you have to give everything you've got. When you're a painter, an artist, you have to give it, really, 110%. I graduated from the University of Washington with a degree in painting, fine art. Beautiful. But you know, I already knew I wasn't going to make a living as an artist. Because the only profession that pays less than that is being a musician. And I was a musician too. Microsoft doesn't hire fine artists. If you're going to be an artist, you're going to be like Claude Monet, who starved for most of his life. Until he got big at the very end when he had to tape paintbrushes to his arm because he had arthritis. And keep painting. But it's like, you have to give it everything. Or else the guy who does give it everything is gonna, is gonna succeed and you won't because you won't do what it takes. That's true for everything. You have to give it everything. And if you don't, you won't make it. But here's the catch. Then you die. So Claude Monet paints these enormous paintings that are worth millions. But where's Claude now? Still seriously dead. And you can be a fabulous musician and be dead. And you can give all you can and be radical with your life, like V.I. Lennon. And where is he now? So think about everything you want to do with your life, everything you would give your life for and work your hardest and succeed, and you come against this problem. Even if you achieve it, you can't keep it. Is it really that worth giving your life for? Isn't this a problem? Now, every cause to live for in the world is a dead end. And that's why I'm really interested in the one cause in this world that's not from this world, it's from heaven. Jesus had the cause from heaven, the highest, the worthiest cause you could ever live for. So his purpose in coming was to redeem people back to God, to be the Savior of the world, to save those living in darkness and the shadow of death, to give sight to the blind, make lame people walk, set free prisoners, turn sinners to righteousness, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his cause. And he said in John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal." If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So Jesus believed what he taught. That's the purpose of a seed is to fall into the earth and die. Because when that happens, then it comes up again in a different form and it bears fruit. And he believed that. He actually came on purpose to lose his life and accomplish his goal. And he lost his life suffering the punishment of God for all sin. Every wrong deed, every wrong thought, all sin for all time, Was being punished on Jesus. As if Jesus had gone out and done all those things and thought all those thoughts. And he completely exhausted the wrath of God for sin. That is, God let him have it until there was no more wrath. And then Jesus said, It is finished. And then he died. Now, he accomplished the will of God completely. He fulfilled that cause that he came into this life for. And he accomplished it. God is satisfied. All sin is dealt with. So God was pleased to raise Jesus from the dead. Now, isn't that the most phenomenal thing? That you could give your life for a cause, you accomplish the cause, and you get your life back. That is radical. Not only that, Jesus is still giving new life. Not only is he alive, he's giving life to other people. This is the most radical thing that's happening in the world right now. This is more radical than going green or choosing your particular expression of sexuality. That stuff is kid stuff. It's small pocket change. It's, it's not radical. It's weenie because it accomplishes nothing. And everybody who's into climate change or a new government or new sexuality, they all die. That's all dead-end stuff. It's stupid. This is the true radicalism. To give up that life that you cannot keep to receive a new life that you cannot lose. So there, there's only really two causes in the world. Your cause and God's cause. Now, again, you can be anything you want if you want. Go out there and do it. But ultimately, it's going to come to nothing. If you serve yourself, it will come to nothing. Your cause is not worth giving your life for. So it turns out that if you try to hang on to your life, that's just what is going to ruin your life just like it did with Absalom, and all those guys that said, yeah, I don't want to die. So let's get everybody together and hopefully they'll die, but I won't. All those guys that thought that are dead right now. It's not radical enough. God's cause is worth giving your whole life for and deciding, I will lose my life for the sake of Christ. I will do whatever he wants. I will pray just like Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours be done. I will go where you send me. I will do what you want me to do. And God, God help me if I ever get my way. I do that occasionally. I've never enjoyed it. I think, man, I'm done. So much better to lose and then receive life that you cannot lose. So he says to us, Jesus does, he says, come to me, die with me. I'll give you my new life and I will make you fruitful. Here is my cause to live for and to die for. Let's pray. We hear stuff like this, Heavenly Father... And we think, yeah, that's right. I want to do that. And I know that some of us are still afraid of losing our lives. What is God going to do to me if I give up my life? And the thought in the back of my mind is, he's going to ruin it. I really will die. But we thank you, Lord, that your words are true. And all we lose are the things that keep us from ever being fruitful. We thank you that you give a new life where we can live without fear and not worry what happens to us. How am I going to live? What will I eat? What will I wear? But we can be confident that you won't ever fail. you won't ever let us down. And we know this to be true because you raised Jesus from the dead. So this morning, we want to trust you to help us to lose our lives and to not worry about how we're going to end up because that belongs to you. And our job is just to say, here I am, anything you want. And we pray together, Lord, that whatever you want, not my will, but yours be done. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.